0: Well, about 10 years ago or so, I was living in Colorado and uh, I went to the doctor because I was having all kinds of external physical issues. My back was hurting, my knees were hurting, and I had some other things that I, for my embarrassment and yours I won't share, but there were things going on. And I went to the doctor, and I said, I don't know what's going on, here's what I got going on. And he said, well, <clears throat> tell me a little bit about your family background. I said, well, we got diabetes on both sides, we have sides, we have heart disease on both sides. On my mom's side, uh, both my uncle and my grandfather had a heart attack. By the time they were 32, I believe it was, and uh, he said, well, how old are you again? And then he looked down to the chart, and he went, oh, we need to get some blood work drawn up on you. And I was like, what does that mean, doc? Like, am I going to die? I'm 30, 30 years old roughly at the time. So he ordered some blood work. About a week later, I come back in. I get the blood drawn, and then I get a phone call one day. It's his assistant. You know, I'm thinking if it's good news, you know what they're going to say, right? They're, oh, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Do this. But no, no, she's just like the doctor would like to see you. Uh, I know that doesn't mean anything good. Probably shouldn't have eaten that cheese pizza before the blood work. So I go into the doctor and he says, All right, so the good news and the bad news. I said, Well, let's start with the bad news. He said, The bad news is your LDLs are out of whack, your HDLs are out of whack, and we're thinking about DLing you for the rest of your life. We're just going to put you on the, just forget it. Anyway, so he said, The problem is, some of you will catch up. So the problem is this. The problem is this, he, goes, uh, he said it in a very nice way, my interpretation, is he said, you're fat. I said, oh, well, thank you so much, I appreciate that. He said, if you go lose about 25 to 30 pounds, all of these issues, the ones I told you and the other ones, they're gonna go away. And I said, great, that sounds exciting, I'm so excited. I said, so if I don't really take this serious, he said, you could be looking at a major heart issue, a major heart issue. I said, what are we, what are we talking about here? He said, I don't know, I can't predict that. I've never met your family, but I'm going based off what you told me and what this paper says about your blood work. Bad things are coming in your future if you don't deal with it now. Now, What I want to talk to you about today is that same kind of concept, but not in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. Because see, the outer showings are telling you something about the inner life. And what I mean by that is this, all these things, my back and my knees were hurting, all these things were starting to hurt, I was having all these other complications because something wasn't right in here. And I just want to tell you, if you get nothing else today, you tune out because my voice is annoying or whatever, I just want you to get this today. If something is coming out of you, it's because there's something first inside you that's leading you that way. In fact, so much is this true, and so true is in the scripture, I'm going to show it to you, that I have begun to ask a question when I sit down with people. And sometimes I change the question depending on the person, the relationship, but the question sounds something like this. How is your heart doing? How is your heart doing? doing now if I know the person I could interpret they may figure out quickly what I mean but what I'm really trying to get to is what's going on in here I know what's going on in your life with medically I know what's going on in your life with your marriage I know what's going on in your life with your kids I know what's going on in life with your habits how's your heart doing in all of this and what I want people to start doing is start to look in here as to the place the interpretation of what's going on out here because the Bible if you could put it in these terms tells us that on all of our hearts is a throne just imagine like a little chair right there on your, on your heart, maybe there's two of them, and there's a little person that sits there or a thing that sits there. And there's a king or a queen or an object that sits there on the throne of your heart and it is making decisions for your life. That's just, this is why Solomon, perhaps the second wisest man ever to live, simply says this, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Now, Solomon is not talking about having a heart attack, not in the physical sense. He's talking about having a heart attack in the spiritual, emotional sense. In Hebrew and in Greek culture, very similar to America today, there's some nuances. But one of the major things is when they talk about the heart, they're not talking about this thing that pumps blood through the body. We do talk about that in medical sense. But for the most part, we talk about heart in the sense of decision-making processes. So you might say, well, I've fallen in love with this person I've fallen out of love with this person. Oh, this little boy, my son, he just has my heart. And all of these phrases are intended to just kind of communicate that we view the heart as this place whereby we make decisions, we live from, it kind of controls our emotions. It's got all these things wrapped up in one little ball, which is why it's important for us to recognize this when you understand, as I've been telling you week after week after week, that we are in a battle, And we are raging with the war all around us. And Satan is aiming at one primary part of your body, your heart. Of course, he wants your mind. He wants your soul. He wants your strength. But if he can get your heart to fail or to be broken or stop trusting in God, then he can make everything else about you start to follow that path. I love the way John Eldredge says this. His book, Waking the Dead, Waking the Dead, highly recommend. There's going to be two books I recommend. This is the first one. He says this, the story of your life is the story of the long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could be, and he fears it. Hmm. That's why Jesus goes on. And in Matthew chapter 15, if you want to turn there, otherwise it'll be on the screen. Matthew 15, Jesus says this. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. Now just stay here for a second. Jesus has been going toe to toe with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the religious rulers. They have all the answers, right? They're guys like me, pompous and arrogant. They have all the answers. and they're... Wait a minute, I didn't mean that the way that came out. They have all the crowds who listen to them, come to them to hear, what should we do? And the Pharisees do not understand the heart of their Heavenly Father. They are wrapped up in processes and procedures and legal steps, and you can't do this, and you can do that. And the Pharisees are excellent at what we call behavior modification. Behavior modification, in case you don't know, behavior modification is when we try to change how we act, but it does nothing to affect the heart. And so what we find is Jesus has been going toe-to-toe with them, and he finally says, hey, all right, all right, everybody gather around. Hey, you, over there. Come here, come here, come here. You, back there. Hey, you not paying attention. Wake up. Come here. All right, listen. Listen. I need you to understand something. Do you think it's important whatever he's going to say next? He says, verse 16. Sorry, verse 11. Apologize. Verse 11. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. See, in the Hebrew culture, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rules, and a lot of them focused on the diet can't eat shellfish, can't eat pork. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. And so these Pharisees were constantly judging people based off their ability to obey all of these laws that they may or may not even remember all of them. And the Pharisees are great at judging them. And Jesus says, let's make this simple. It's not about the diet. It's not about what goes in here. It's about what's coming out of here that really messes things up. Well, it brings up a great question. How is that even possible, Jesus. And he'll explain this in detail in a moment, but you need to understand what Jesus is trying to build is this process whereby we would stop judging by the outside and start assessing by the inside. Andy Stanley, the other book I recommend, in his book, Enemies of the Heart, says this. Every arena of life intersects with what's going on in our hearts. Everything passes through on its way to wherever it's going Everything. Don't miss this. Because if you miss this, you miss everything. You are living out of right here. Right here. And your enemy knows that. So if he can get this, he can get you. This is why later in chapter 15, Peter gathers together with Jesus. They often do this. Jesus says something hard. They don't get it. And so they gather together on the side, and they're like, um, Jesus, help us out. Like, you just told everybody this, and they were too embarrassed to ask publicly. So privately, they're like, I don't get it. And here's what happens. They look at verse 15. Then Peter said to Jesus, um, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. And they'll realize Peter is simply living out of what he's been told his whole life by the Pharisees. I've been in synagogue every Saturday, Jesus. I've heard the scriptures read. I've heard them taught on. I thought there was a direct correlation between righteousness, holiness, and food. I'm confused. Jesus looked at him verse 16. Don't you understand yet, Jesus asked. Now, I want you to hear this question not as Jesus being pejorative or condescending. I don't want you to hear Jesus going, you idiot, Peter. I mean, we've been together for about two years now. You really don't get it? No, 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 no. This is Jesus looking at his student And saying, you don't get this yet, do you? All right, let me break it down for you, Peter. Let's make it more simple. Verse 17, anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. And all God's people say, ew. (laughs) Thank you for that analogy, Jesus. This, by the way, is the biblical reason why I hate spending a lot of money on food. I... (laughs) I, I, like, I know some of you, I've had people, hey, let's go to Fogo de shower, or however you say that. I'm like, why? I don't want to pay $80 for something that's going to make me feel just as satisfied as the $10 version. I just, because it's going to go in the mouth and into the sewer. Jesus said so himself. I just, this is why, like, it's date night. I'm like, hey, honey, what do you want to do that doesn't cost a lot of money on food? Like, it, you know, and she doesn't always feel valued. But anyway, <laughs> verse 18 says, but the words you speak, come from the heart, and that's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Take that, germaphobes, how you like me now. So... (laughs) I'll stop there. I can make many more jokes. All right. The point of what Jesus is trying to say is what goes into your body doesn't have the ultimate effect on you. It's what comes out of your body. Now, just break this down like you're Peter, okay? I don't understand. How can I be defiled by what's coming out? Well, Jesus is saying, because what's coming out is already in. You are already defiled by what is in there. We, as a people, have a major heart problem. Not only are LDLs and HDLs out of whack, the blood pumping through our veins has something wrong with it. Again, John Eldridge says this. Somehow we have overlooked the fact. This treasure called the heart can also be broken, has been broken, and now lies in pieces down under the surface. When it comes to habits we cannot quit or patterns we cannot stop, Anger that flies out of nowhere, fears we cannot overcome, or weaknesses we hate to admit. Much of what troubles us comes out of the broken places in our hearts, crying out for relief. Jesus speaks as if we are all brokenhearted. And we would do well to trust his perspective on this. Are you starting to get the picture? This past summer, my wife and I went on vacation with the family, and uh, there came a moment on our vacation where um, I was upset. I was angry. I was frustrated. And I wasn't handling it well. In my quiet moments with God, he was trying to speak to me and correct me and rebuke me and encourage me and all those things. But I had already shut off my ears from him. Like, oh, No. No, no, no. I'm justified in this. And so every time I used my tongue to lash out at my wife or my family, I know your pastor messes up too, God was right there speaking along with me and saying, stop, stop, stop. What is going on inside you? And what I want you to see is a few things. First of all, you have an enemy. I know for a fact that Satan was getting in there, and he was needling, and he was pushing buttons, and he was creating situations. He was doing everything so that I would irritate my wife. My wife, by God's grace, would irritate me also. I knew that, and yet because I could not see that I was in a battle, I was so quick to simply point a finger at my wife. I wasn't able to acknowledge that I was a part of it, and I wasn't able to acknowledge that somebody is in here needling around trying to make everything worse, My pride got in the way, and when your pride gets in the way, it's very difficult to say, I'm sorry. But what we fail to realize is these things come from somewhere. Satan has been studying you your whole life. He knows what traps to lay before you. He knows exactly what's going on. He's watched your life. He's studied your life, and he knows how to trip you up. You should assume the next time you're angry and frustrated or hurt and offended or whatever it is, that there's an enemy involved. Do you think there's an enemy involved in the fighting that's going on in our country right now? Do you think he desperately wants America to do nothing but attack each other on a regular basis? Of course he does. And he's doing this all over the world. And we let him win so often. So what are we to do about it? Well, let's go back to what Jesus says, since we know he has the answers. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Jesus says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. So yesterday we went to one of the apple orchards, and uh, we got our little bag, and you know, go around and pick up your apples. They say, look for the orange rope, string, whatever, tied to the trees, that's how you know those rows still have fruit to pick. So we pick one with an orange, whatever, and we come, we kind of come down the line, and the first few trees don't have much. And my wife walks up on one of the first trees, and right there on the ground is this yellow apple that fell off. It's golden delicious. We used to have these in our backyard, and I got tired of fighting bees and apples, so we cut them all down. And so it was kind of like this affinity. My wife was sad when we cut them down, but she was also tired of picking up apples. And our backyard smelling like wine all the time. And anyway, so she picked up an apple and, and it had a brown spot on it. It had, had a mud spot. And she goes, like, oh, it has a bug on it. I go, why don't you wipe it off? See what's under there. She wiped off the mud. There was nothing there. It was like the perfect apple. It was as if it had just fallen from the tree moments before we got there. So she put it, the first one, in the bag. She was all excited. But then every other tree we went to after that, she's like treasure hunting for the perfect apples on the ground. And all over the ground are these smashed, bruised, smelly, you know, bug-infested apples. And she'll pick one up, be like, look, ah, oh! it's like, you know, gross and nasty. Now, if all you saw coming off of a tree was the dead and the bug-infested and the bruised, what you would say if you were a gardener is you'd step back and say, something is wrong with this tree. It's got a bug problem we need to deal with. It's got a disease or a sickness that it's passing along to the fruit. That's the exact kind of analogy Jesus is trying to get to here with us. When you see a bad behavior, when you see a sin going on in someone's life, you should naturally assume something else is going on. And what I want you to get out of this is not judgment. You could literally change Jesus' words. I don't recommend you do this, but you could interpret his words to say something like, when a heart is good... Its actions are good. When a heart is bad, its actions are bad. See, now where Christians make a mistake, as we talked about last week, is Christians love to see, I don't want to say we love to see, but we're good at seeing the bad actions, and we can quickly recognize there's something bad going on here, and we're quick to take part in the enemy's plan to throw an arrow or to shoot an arrow at somebody and say, look at you, and we come out very condescending, very judgmental. Many of you know this, you've experienced this. It's what's kept you away from God for so long. But what God is calling us to do is to assess a tree by its fruit and then do something to make the tree healthy. So, if maybe nothing else you get today, maybe you need to get this. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Whatever is in your heart determines determines what you say you could also say determines what you do what's in here will come out of here andy stanley in the book enemies of the heart says this and here's the thing the people closest to you routinely catch the flack thrown off by the explosive stuff you normally work so hard to keep hidden you know exactly what he's talking about right See, when I was a young boy, I I don't know, 10 years old, give or take, I don't remember exactly, I remember this moment, I had just started with my friend using um, four-letter words that we knew we weren't allowed to use, but we only used them when no one else was around, like mom and dad. We'd be out playing baseball or basketball, and we'd be throwing around words, thinking we were cool or tough or big or adult-like or whatever it was. We sounded like immature kids, I'm sure. And one day after hanging out with my friends, I spent the night there, and we played sports all that afternoon. And I went home, and my conscience was just eating at me. And I remember my mom was cleaning the house, and she came into my bedroom, and she was putting some clothes away in my room. And I was like, Mom, we need to talk and she's like, okay, what's going on? And she's still cleaning and not paying attention. And I was like, no, mom, can I shut the door? Like, I didn't want my sister or my dad to hear. My mom's like, what's wrong? Who hurt you? You know, she's being a mom. I'm like, mom, just nothing. So I shut the door. And like, I was goes in knots. And, and I said, mom, mom, um, I've been cussing lately. And my mom, like, didn't know what to do. She's like, well, like, what words? <laughs> I think she was trying to assess, like, am I really I was like, well, mom, I can't say I'm in front of you. Now, here's the thing that's ironic about all this, right? Like, I can say I'm in front of my friends, but I can't say I'm in front of mom. Why? Well, because I knew it wasn't appropriate to say in front of mom. I remember when I told her one of them, I whispered it. (laughs) Like, don't worry, I'm not going to say it here. I don't remember the words, you know, I've forgotten them since then. But anyway, um, here's the point. What Andy's trying to get to is we've gotten really good at trying to put a filter right here. And our hope is we won't let anything come out that's not supposed to in the wrong place. So in front of the pastor, and I deal with this all the time, people will not say certain words or jokes or phrases that they'll clearly say the next day sitting around the water cooler or hanging out at lunch with their buddies or watching a sporting event. Or around their wives, they won't tell certain jokes, but at work they can Or with their husbands, they won't talk about certain things because they know their husbands won't listen to it, but they can talk about it with their girlfriends. And on and on and on the list goes. And we've learned that if we could just control our tongues in certain places and in certain environments, then we'll be okay. But the problem is, sooner or later, it all breaks down. For some of you, you have one too many drinks. For some of you, you have a surgery, and I don't know if you're like me, but man, you put me on Oxycontin or Vicodin. My wife jokes that Oxycontin's like a truth serum. Anything she wants to know, man, just get me one of those. It's like, I'll tell you everything. And in third grade and in second grade, she's like, you shouldn't tell her friends these things. <laughs> or if I get really angry or offended or hurt, and all of a sudden, man, the gloves are coming off, and you ever noticed? You're most prone to do this in front of the people you love the most. Because, see, you'll keep that filter up in front of your boss. You'll keep that filter up probably in front of your neighbors. You'll keep that filter up in front of the people. You don't really, you know, you don't want to offend them because it's not safe. But go home to the people and the places that are most committed to you, and we let our guard down. And then we hurt, and sometimes profoundly and forever. You know, you can forgive a hurt, you can forgive a word or a phrase or an action that somebody puts out there, but it's always going to be out there. I don't know how many times I've thought, oh, if I could just reel that one back in. If I would have just stopped, if I would have just taken five minutes, I know I would have thought of a better way or a different way to say that. And those around us feel it. Matthew 12, verse 35. Jesus says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Now i tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Now, I want to be very careful. So for those of you new at Bible study, new at this Jesus church thing, I need you to hear me, okay? Try to stay with me. I'll do my best to explain this. This is a very clear statement from Jesus talking specifically about Jesus. Here's what I mean. He's talking to the Pharisees who are questioning Jesus, claiming that he's doing the miracles that he's doing by the hands of Beelzebub, by by basically Satan, by demonic powers, and Jesus is having this very clear conversation with them and saying, you could question me, but you cannot question the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to get too deep into that. That's not today's text. What I'm want, the reason I'm telling this is I don't want to cherry pick Jesus's words that are applying to one thing and, and make them say something they're not saying. So what I want to be careful of is on judgment day, you will not literally be sent to heaven or sent to hell based off every word you got right or every word you got wrong. That's not how salvation works. Salvation is found in grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. However, there is something about being held accountable for your words. It's because this shows up in other places throughout Scripture that we know that this is true. That doesn't mean heaven or hell, you're in, you're out, because you're not in or out based off your actions, you're in or out based off your faith. However, Jesus says you can know a tree by its fruit. Do you see the connection? It's the same passage. A good tree brings good fruit from the treasury of the goodness in the trunk. It's connected to the vine, you might say. It's healthy on the inside. So the point here, and this is the thing I want you to get, is what is the treasury of your heart looking like? And maybe even deeper than that, It's to recognize that when you are, quote, unquote, acting out, maybe it's time to stop and ask yourself, what's really going on in here? The adage is simply this. And I can't say this is foolproof, but I think it's pretty intelligent. If you find a behavior that's out of whack, let's call it sin, whatever, look below that. You're oftentimes, if not every time, going to find a fear that's driving the behavior. If you look below that, you will often find a wound, a hurt. A moment in your life where you were tempted not to trust God to handle something. And since God didn't do something in a certain way, That's why that person hurt you. That's why that person said that thing. That's why you lost your job. That's why there wasn't enough income, whatever it is. So therefore, there's this fear that sits on the throne in your heart. And that fear is driving you to act out in certain ways. I don't trust God to meet my needs, so I better meet my own needs. I don't trust God to handle the way this person is treating me, so I better treat them like they're treating me, because I don't trust God to take care of it. And if you look, if you will look deep enough, far enough, for long enough, the Holy Spirit will start to reveal to you those wounds. Andy Stanley in Enemies of the Heart says this. Here's a question every angry man and woman needs to consider. How long are you going to allow people you don't even like, people who are no longer in your life, maybe even people who aren't even alive anymore, to control your life? How long? How long? I want my boys to understand this so that as they're progressing as young adults, I mean, they're, you know, three, seven, and eight, but as they're growing up, I'm changing our discipline conversations. I just want, again, remind you, I think, I think next Sunday is the last Sunday to sign up because we have to arrange childcare. So November 4th. Our parenting seminar. I think you've got a week. Make sure you tell your friends. I know you're like, Kingsway people love to put things off till last minute. Oh, we'll just show up. We won't have child care for you. Your kids will be sitting there learning all the things you're doing wrong. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> November the 4th from 9 to 12, you want to be there. Trust me. Trust me. But one of the things you're going to hear me talk a lot about is this idea of becoming a heart reader, not a behavior modifier. And that's important to me because I'm trying to underst- help my boys understand this. They don't understand what I understand about life. But here's how I walk them through this. So the other day, one of my boys got mad at one of his brothers. If I'm reading the situation correct, even though I didn't see it unfold, I kind of got to see the aftermath. I look over, and one of my boys is knocking the other brother to the ground. He's punching him, and he's angry at him, and that kind of thing. So I don't fully understand what happened. I just know I take that boy, and I say, all right, we're going to go upstairs. It's no longer safe for you to be with your family. It's an unsafe environment. Your body is out of control. You need to be separated until you calm down. He's yelling, he's screaming, he's fighting the whole way. I'm now walking him up the stairs. He's now in fight wo- mode with me. Everything in me wants to fight back. Can I crush a six-year-old? You better say yes or we got to talk, all right? Of course I could. Is my job to crush him? Is my job to hurt him? My job is to disciple I stopped, I looked at him, and I said, buddy, we are going upstairs to your room. It is clear you're angry and your body is out of control, but we are doing this. It could take as long as you want. However, just realize the longer it takes, the longer it takes for you to get back down and play again. I'll wait for you. How many times has God done that with you? Oh, you're going to do this, Jonah. You're going to do this, Moses. Hey, Noah, I need you to build a boat. It's going to take 40 years or whatever, but you're going to build it. You ever notice how patient God is with our tantrums? And so he goes up to his room, and I go in, and I shut the door. And I go in the room with him, and he's angry, and he's upset, and I, I get it. Take some time to calm down. I'm ready, I'm ready. No, Daddy will decide when you're ready. It's clear to me your body is not ready yet. What am I doing? I'm reading his heart. His actions are showing me he's not ready to embrace the moment. He sinned against his brother, and consequently he sinned against me. So we wait, okay, I'm ready, come on over here. So what do you need to say you're sorry for? Well, if he hadn't taken the toy, I wouldn't. You're not ready yet, why don't you go sit on your bed and I'll sit right here while we wait. Now, did I have other plans for the day? You bet I did. In my mind, and in my heart, I'm like, I'm just getting angry. I'm just tired of it. You know what would be really easy? It'd be really easy just to spank this kid and say, you know what? We're done with this. You can stay up here until I tell you to come out of your room. But you know what's not going to happen in that moment if I do that? He's not going to understand what he needs to do different next time. So we wait until his body is calm, and he finally makes his way back over to me, and he climbs up in my lap. And I look at him, and I say, son, now, what happened? He took the toy away from me. He took it away from you? Because I saw you walk in the other room. Yeah, but I wasn't done with it yet. Anybody ever heard that one? (laughs) Now, how is your brother supposed to know that you weren't done with it yet when you walk away into the other room and start playing with something else? He's going to interpret that like anybody would, that you had moved on. I said, so, buddy, what's going on in your heart? What do you mean? What are you afraid of right now? I'm not afraid of anything. I could take him. I already showed you that. Okay, yeah, I know. I know. Yes. You could beat up somebody younger than you. Impressive. Okay. I didn't say that. That's sarcasm. I said, so buddy, what's going on in your heart? I said, let me ask it a different way. What was going on in your mind when he took that toy? I was afraid he was going to have fun with it and I wasn't going to get to. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. Why was that important to you? Well, because it just seems like he always gets the toys that I want. So we're finally discovering what it is that we're afraid of that drove us to get so explosive to hurt our brother. I said, so buddy, I want you next time that your brother takes a toy that you want. I want you to stop and ask, what is it I'm afraid of right now? And then I want you to ask yourself this question. What's more important, a toy or your brother? And he said, ugh, my brother. (laughs) I think we've talked about this one before, haven't we? Yes, so what do you need to do? I need to tell him I'm Sorry. And he looked at me and he said, Daddy, I'm sorry. I said, I forgive you. And we made our way downstairs and apologized to his brother. What was I trying to do for him in that moment? I'm trying to help him see his actions come from somewhere. How many of us as adults would do so much better in our marriage, in our friendships, and our workplaces, if we would follow the same kinds of principles? All right, I want to give you a quick four-step process for navigating this in your own heart, your own lives. You ready? This is not about your spouse. One, one couple left today and they saw me. They said, man, great sermon today. The wife said it. I said, I know your husband needed it, didn't he? And she went, yeah. All right. This is about you. This isn't about them, okay? Number one, number one, the first thing you need to do. Your battle plan is this. I want you to pause. As simple as all get out, right? Just pause. Take a breather. Take five seconds, five minutes, 10 minutes. Better yet, take two weeks. Take a month if you have to. How many social media posts would never, ever happen if we would just pause, perhaps ask someone else, hey, you think this is smart? If you're really, really, really upset, maybe write the email and put it in your drafts for a while, but don't send it. Come back a week later, two weeks later, and read it again, and I can almost promise if you don't do any of the other three steps, that alone will change your words. Because you will have time for the moment to pass. What happens in every moment when fear is running the, the moment, when fear is running the day, you start to act out. And as you act out, you will start to try to control the world around you because you do not trust God to handle it. So pause, take a breather. Here's how the Bible says it, James chapter 1, verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow, should say slower, to get angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Just hang on that one for a minute. The Bible says, in your anger do not sin. The Bible does not say, do not be angry. There are certain times and situations that require anger. We call them um, justified anger, so to speak. Any times... You might say any time the holiness of God or the righteousness of God has been offended, it's natural to get angry. Any time justice and mercy have not occurred, I get enraged when I think about the sex trafficking industry. That is a godly anger, but I still have to be careful. Because in my anger, I must produce the fruit that God longs for. Parents, do your children ever make you angry? Everybody's like, I want to say yes, but I think it's the wrong answer. Well, mine do. But I must be careful that I act in a way that brings about what God desires. How do I do that? I take a deep breath. I'm quick to listen. You ever notice you have two ears and one mouth? Use it proportionately. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Number two, number two. I want you to reflect reflect I want you to start to explore where your desire is coming from I want you to start to ask questions what am I afraid of right now and I know some of you are so tough you have nothing you're afraid of I get it whatever okay so change the question if that question doesn't get to your heart then change it what am I thinking about right now what am I anxious about right now what was going through my head the moments before I got angry why did that make me angry If you can allow the spirit to trace it back deep enough with you, you'll begin to reflect on something that is driving you. I remember, I've I've come so far because I didn't always practice this well. But I remember uh, a few months ago, I took my boys up to Traders Point Christian Church. We were doing the park. What a great blessing that church has provided for all of us parents. And I was up there, and I'm watching this mom. She has two little kids, and she's pregnant. Poor lady. And I'm watching her daughter. She tells her daughter, honey, it's time to go. And her daughter has a complete meltdown. Anybody ever been there? and I'm watching the mom, she is so embarrassed. Her face literally turns red, and she's now looking at her, she doesn't know what to do. She assumes all of his parents are looking at her in judgment, when we all know we're really looking at her with empathy, because we're like, uh-huh, been there, honey, I know, sorry. And she's looking at her daughter, and she starts to rebuke her daughter and shame her daughter publicly. You get up right now, you're such a spoiled brat, I told you we'd never come here. And I'm thinking, oh man. Oh, what I would give, and I bet what you would give, if you had just taken five minutes, Your daughter's embarrassing herself. She doesn't need your help. Let her work through it. Let her calm down. Of course that's not acceptable behavior, but she can't accept it right now anyway. And the only person you're really embarrassing is who? You. But what's going on in mom's heart? I don't know, but I'm just going to take a guess because it's going on in my heart before. I was embarrassed by what everybody else was thinking or what I thought everybody else was thinking. So I acted out in a way that wasn't appropriate. How many times do we do that? Here's what the Bible says about this. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 2. Tune your ears to wisdom. Concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight. Ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God. I love what Solomon writes here because what he's simply trying to say is next time you feel your body acting out in some way that is not appropriate, it's not right for God or his people, I start to ask him, God, help me. Give me insight and understanding into my own heart. God, why do I feel the need to do this? I mean, this goes into sinful behaviors. Remember all the lists that Jesus put out there? Theft and slander and sexual immorality. The list goes on and on. Lying and evil behaviors. I mean, the list is so all-encompassing. Whenever you find yourself acting out in a way that doesn't honor him, just what is going on in my heart, God? Help me understand what is going on right now that I might do it different. Number three, number three. We're almost done. We're almost done. Ask. This is where I just want you to ask God to teach you a better way. Okay, God, help me to know what to say and how to say it and what to do and how to do it in a way that pleases you. I use this analogy often. I've thought a lot about making a video like this. There was a season of our life uh, where we were literally praying, I would guess, 365 days a year. Maybe we missed four or five. Might have been 360 days a year, but It was so close to every day, I remember it as every day, we prayed for a certain thing in our lives, my wife and I. And after five years, roughly four and a half to five years, it wasn't happening. Finally, about four and a half to five years in, God God started to answer our prayers. And I'm going to be honest, it made me mad at God. I did. I was angry at God. Why has this taken you so long when he brought me the answer? But here's the thing. It was like, men, you'll understand this analogy. Women, you might struggle, but stick with me. It was like going to my toolbox and not having the right tool to deal with a certain situation I was trying to deal with. It's like having a screw and a piece of wood, and you open up your toolbox, and all you've got is a hammer. Now, can you get a screw to go in a piece of wood with a hammer? Of course you can. It's just that you're going to shred the piece of wood when you do it. That was, and I can't go into the details. It's too personal, but that's what was going on in my life. It felt like, God, I'm doing the best I have with what I have, but all I'm doing is I'm tearing up this piece of wood, and I need you. And I'll be honest, I was bitter and angry at God. And then after God brought healing and resolution, I look back now and God never was not answering my prayer. It's just that I couldn't see all the things that God was doing for those years and those months and those weeks leading up to the the moment where I finally got a screwdriver. I see it now. And almost everything that I have taught you last week and this week is coming from the wisdom that God gave me after the four and a half to five years of hard prayer. So church, be patient with God and ask. In fact, James says this in James chapter one, verse five. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. In fact, it goes on to say, God loves to give wisdom to his children. He loves it, and he won't show favoritism. He doesn't care if you're male or female. He doesn't care if you're young or old. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor or educated or less educated or uneducated. He doesn't care. He just loves to provide screwdrivers when you need a screwdriver. And when he doesn't do it in the way you think, in the time you think, be patient with him. He's up to something good for you. All right, last one, last one. I want you to do this. I want you to turn your yelling into yearning. Your yelling into yearning. And here's what I mean by that. We don't use the word yearn very much, but I'm going to read a passage that uses it, and that's why I picked it. I want you to yearn for the presence of God because it's in him you will find everything you need. You're going to find the strength to do the right thing. You're going to find the power to get things done. You're going to find the nurture, the comfort, the peace, the patience in his presence. So the more you draw away from him, the thirstier you're going to be for him. And so I want you to start to draw into his presence and yearn for it. When you find your flesh wanting to cry out and act out in all kinds of inappropriate ways, just go ahead and assume your heavenly father is waiting with his arms open like a perfect father. And you might have not experienced this as a child, but as a perfect father who can't wait to use those arms to protect and to provide and to comfort, to pick up his child and to place him or her in his lap and say, I've got you know what is amazing? Ah, oh, it's a whole other sermon. I'm going to have to do it another day. I've got to give me 30 seconds, please, because we're over a little bit. I am coming to fully understand the depth of the way God made men and the way God made women. And while men bring strength to this world, women bring this profound nurturing. And the thing is, men and women were made in the image of God. Both of them. He made them male and female. But see, we don't tend to think of God these ways. But your heavenly father is a perfect father. He has both strength when you need it and he has the ability to nurture you and carry you through. This is why when men like um, Elijah go toe-to-toe with these prophets of Baal and he embarrasses them by calling down fire from heaven in the book of Kings. Oh, it's powerful because he's so depleted from the journey. And he's now afraid for his life, and he runs away. And instead of God rebuking him, saying, I just showed off on the mountain, bringing down fire from heaven. Instead, instead God brings him bread and brings him uh, drink. And he says, you just need a nap, Elijah. I'm here with you. It's the nurturing of God, following the power of God. And we see both all the time in Scripture because he's a perfect God. So what do we do? We yearn for that. We draw to that place where Abba could give us whatever we need for the moment. Psalm 84, verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. What the psalmist is trying to say is when I look in your presence, I see you taking care of even tiny birds, the tiniest parts of creation. You care for them. Oh, God, might I realize that it's in your presence that I find all thy. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to go into communion time. And if you'll just put up this list of four real quick, we're going to practice this. So you'll notice, if you were paying attention, this simply spells out pray. Because at the end of the day, that is the answer. When you feel life feels out of control, when you don't have the strength you feel like you need, when you need comforted by God, you're just going to pray. And it might be a five-second prayer, God, help me. It might be a longer prayer, Lord, reveal to me what's going on in my heart. I need to understand right now. But before we act, we're going to pray. Before we act out, we're going to pray, and we're just going to draw close. We're gonna pause, we're gonna reflect, we're gonna ask, and we're gonna yearn for the presence of God to bring what we need. And I want you to practice that right now, okay? We're gonna go to prayer, I'm gonna start a prayer, I'm gonna hand it to you, I'm not even gonna say amen, I'm just gonna stop, and I'm gonna walk off stage, and you're gonna start talking to him. Your job is to do two things right now, pray to him for you, and pray to him for someone else. If you're visiting with us today and this whole idea of praying to God seems weird to you, that's all right. You could just sit, listen, you can bask in the glory of God or you can give it a shot. God will take all your prayers, whether you have the right words or not, and do something with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, most of my life and our lives are spent rushing around from activity to activity TV show to TV show, app to app, job to job, build to build, responsibility to responsibility. Rarely, God, do we find the time and the space in our lives to pray and reflect and to seek you. And God, for just a few minutes right now, we've got that. Father, would you meet us right here, right now in this place? Would you speak into our lives, God, as I've been teaching out of your word God, would you speak into our lives an area in our life that's out of control? God, would you help us to find the fear that's driving it? What are we afraid of? What are we afraid that you won't provide or care for or meet? What need, God, or what want do we have that we've not surrendered to you? And how is that driving us? And, Father, we pray you would dethrone and unseat anything that's on our heart except for you as king and help us to rest in you. So, Father, I pray as... as, um, These men and women, lift up their their voices to you, Father. Meet them in this place and speak into their hearts. And God, as we pray for someone else in our life, whether our spouse or someone else we've got a conflict with, you tell us to pray for our enemies, how much more so the people around us that we love. God, we pray that you would move in them the way you're moving in us.